Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Well, thank you to all of you for coming on this warm day. <coughs> and I hope I'm able to project enough so that you can hear the sermon. <laughs> um, today, I'm speaking about material aid. Material aid is defined as practical assistance given to people in need. Some examples would be food, vouchers, toiletries, bedding, transportation, things like that. Definitions online go on to state that this is aid in the form of money or practical, gifts, gifts, uh, practical goods as opposed to effort. On the international level, it is specifically food or other non-financial aid given to a developing nation or to victims of war or natural disaster. I first heard the term material aid used in the context of a debate about strategy within the movement against the war in Vietnam. While I was adamantly against the war, at the time my point of view was more pacifist than political. But as the movement intensified in 1968, many of those from leftist backgrounds started talking about finding ways to give material aid to the people of North Vietnam I was initially startled by the concept, and yet I was against this war, and I had to admit the idea had merit and would signal how far the movement was willing to go to stop the U.S. invasion. Today I would like to explore further the concept of material aid as a moral imperative. I will start general and discuss concepts from ancient times with regard to material aid and then talk a bit about current discussions of material aid in terms of reparations. And finally, move away from the general to talk about specific acts of material aid on a personal level that may serve as examples for us all. Cicero, the Roman philosopher, discussed the obligations one has around material aid in his writings from the first century BC. Cicero says that there are two types of injustice. They're sort of parallel to what we would call sins of commission and omission. One committed by people who inflict a wrong, and another by those who fail to ward it off from those on whom it is being inflicted, although it is in their power to do so. For a person who unjustly attacks another under the influence of anger or some other disturbance seems to be laying hands on a colleague but the person who does not provide a defense or oppose the injustice, if he can, is just as blameworthy as if he had deserted his parents or friends or his country. Inflicting a wrong, Cicero said, is usually motivated by fear or greed or the love of honor or glory. As for neglecting the defense of others and deserting one's duties, there are many causes of that. Sometimes people are reluctant to occur enemies or hard work or expenses, 
Sometimes they're impeded by lack of concern or laziness or inactivity or some other pursuit of their own to such an extent that they allow those whom they should protect to be abandoned. Still, Cicero sees inflicting a wrong as the greater evil. And the writer uh, who I read about Cicero concluded that most of us do continue to think in something like Cicero's way, feeling that it may be incumbent on us to save people from thugs and bad guys, but it's not so incumbent on us to save them from the equally aggressive depredations of poverty, hunger, or disease. One century later, Jesus had some things to say about this. In the book of Matthew, we read the following. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus omits completely the sins of commission and instead focuses on our obligation to help our neighbors in need. And elsewhere in Matthew, he gives the following very specific example of what he means. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Like much of what Jesus had to say, this story often leaves me feeling embarrassed or perhaps humiliated. <laughs> Uh, but um, his position, at least, is clear, and the opposite of Cicero's. Material aid to neighbors in need is the higher good and obligation, rather than avoiding sins of commission. Now let's turn to today and examine the concept of material aid with regard to a current controversy, the payment of reparations to African Americans, related to the impact of the experiences of slavery on the descendants of slaves, and to others who are adversely affected by continuing racism in our country. Almost every socioeconomic statistic verifies the lasting harmful legacy of slavery. To state just one, households headed by whites have a much higher median net worth, a measure of the value of what a household owns minus what it owes, than those headed by blacks. In 2013, the net worth of median net worth of white households was $144,000, just about 13 times that of black households at $12,000. The wealth gap between black and white households has widened since the 1980s, and it persists even controlling for education. For example, the median net worth of black households headed by someone with a college degree 
is $26,000, while for households headed by white college degree holders, the median net worth is $300,000, 11 times that of blacks. What's the importance of net worth? Net worth can be considered a type of equity for a family, a resource they can turn to when times are difficult, or when an investment in school, training, skills, or property has a high likelihood of improving the family's lot long term. The equity of a family is accumulated over generations and provides the family with a certain amount of safety and freedom. Given the head start on the accumulation of net worth that whites have had in this country, it's no surprise this disparity exists. While there is much discussion and dispute of how much, by whom, and how uh, when it comes to reparations, action to nail the racial disparity in family equity an injustice we all know about and either benefit from if we are white or suffer from if we are black is imperative. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, we read the following. If thy brother be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and of the, out of thy flour, and out of thy winepress, of that which the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. General Sherman, at the end of the Civil War, recommended that every black man be given 40 acres and a mule. After all, the Homestead Act of 1862 was in the process of granting free land seized from Native Americans to settlers in the West almost all of them white. So this was not a foreign concept in the country in the 1860s. And Congress actually passed a law in 1867 mandating the seizure of plantations and the redistribution of land to former slaves. But the law was vetoed by President Andrew Johnson. Certainly redistribution of land at that time would have been in keeping with the injunction from the Old Testament concerning the Hebrews' treatment of free, freed slaves. Now when we talk of reparations, we usually have in mind some grand scheme of wealth or income distribution that would be carried out by the government. Of course we can work to achieve this politically, but the time frame will be long, and at the moment it, it appears the odds of success are long too. Yet, this issue shouldn't just be put aside. Political obstacles do not mean we cannot act. I would like to give you some examples of actions I know of that address this issue on a personal level that are small but real example of efforts to correct injustice and could be considered a type of reparation. First, a friend of mine, let's call him Ted, did something in 2008-2009 that I greatly admired. Someone he knew, but who was not a close friend, had been laid off and had no resources. Homelessness was imminent. The man asked Ted if he could move into his home temporarily. Ted owned the home, but he already had a roommate, and the home had only two bedrooms. It looked like he should deny the man's request. But he did not. They kept talking. It turned out the man had some carpentry skills, and Ted had been planning to do some renovations on his home, and his yard and garden also needed work. After a few weeks of conversation and brainstorming, he spoke with his roommate, and they agreed to take the man in, in return for his carrying out the renovations and yard work over time. 
He slept on a fold-out couch in the living room, kept his possessions in a closet and in the basement, and ended up staying for a year. He eventually found a job in Texas, where he had family and relocated there. I must admit, I would have found it hard to render this type of material aid, but I greatly admire my friend and his roommate for doing so. Secondly, I want to tell you a story from my workplace. I work in a multi-specialty medical office. One of the office's supervisor, let's call her Jane, had over time become a mentor to a very talented medical assist assistant. Let's call her Diana. Diana had always wanted to go to nursing school and become a nurse, but she didn't see how she could accomplish the task. She knew of a part-time program, program at Roxbury Community College, but she couldn't see how she would have the time and money to attend. An African-American woman, she lived in public housing in the South End. Jane worked with Diana to think through what resources she had. Diana's mother lived nearby and probably could supervise Diana's two sons after school and stay with them in the evenings if she had classes. Jane went further. She approached a couple of doctors in the office whom she trusted in terms of both their respect for Diana's privacy and their likelihood of saying yes and asked them to be willing to help Diana pay for unanticipated expenses such as books, exams she had to pay for, or tuition payments coinciding with the holidays. They said yes. She worked one-on-one -on -one with the other medical assistants in the office to have flexibility in their schedules for Diana's classes, which required her to leave the office early two or three days a week. And in return, Diana stayed later on other days to cover for the other medical assistants. And she helped Diana realize she could use vacation days to study for exams. Finally, Diana started classes, and six years later, she received her RN degree, passed her boards, and now has left the office to work as an RN in a neighboring office of the same company. While Diana might have eventually become an RN, likely it would have been later in her career, too late to her to for her to fulfill her goal of moving her sons out of public housing and into a home of their own. Most of those who contributed to Diana's success attended her graduation ceremony at RCC, and the group of medical assistants was recognized by our company for their efforts supporting Diana's education. Final example. The LGBT chorus Coro Allegro in 2016 performed the world premiere of Aluta Continua, The Passion of David Cato Kasule by Eric Bank. This work recounted the last days and legacy of, Uganda's, of this Ugandan LGBTI activist who was murdered in 2011. In addition to the performance dedicated to David Cato Kasule's life, the chorus also had a fundraising event for two organizations which provides financial support to LGBTI refugees in Kenya waiting to be resettled into a friendly country with waiting times averaging two to three years. Thus, the chorus combined material aid with their musical performance. And speaking of asylum seekers, another example comes to mind. I have a friend, let's call him James, who had a brief dating relationship with a man who had been granted asylum in the US from Africa. But long after the dating relationship ended, James and the man are still friends, and James provides occasional cash to him from time to time 
to help him take qualifying exams in his career area. Recently, the man obtained his first job with benefits as a result of having passed these exams. He's also provided the man with assistance for an immigration application for the man's son to come to the U.S. to attend school. And this is only one example I could give of many relationships with immigrants where material aid is rendered. So, while we wait for the U.S. government to figure out a way to pay reparations, I say the following to my mostly white listeners here today, we don't have to wait for legislation. Position yourself in life so you are in contact with those whom you know would benefit from the resources you have at your disposal. And use them when material aid is desired and needed to benefit people in your daily life. This sort of private activity is perhaps the best type of direct political action, backed up by a moral imperative none of us can deny, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.